Jazzcast Pros. There needs to be spaces where black men can begin to heal black men. Today, our guest is Sherman Webb Middlebrooks, and he's the project manager, a men's health initiative from the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. So can you guys share a little bit about that? Yeah, I think we have to normalize it and make it look cool. And it's started to become a trend for men to speak up. And I think what we're doing now with like podcasts and men just creating their safe space, getting the microphone, having conversations and then putting it out there. And then other men validating that and saying, oh, I was thinking that. I'm glad you said what I was thinking or what I was feeling. And so when men, we can create a space where like, okay, we watching the Bills game. But like when this commercial, come on, how your kids doing? What their grades like? Yeah. Anyway, I can support you with that. All right, let me know. Game back on. Mm-hmm. Like, but being super intentional about that. And so exposure leads to expansion. So if I can expose brothers to different environments, different conversations, get them to think thoughts they never thought before, then I can expand their mind. They can show up differently. Hello, this is Pastor George Nicholas, and welcome again to Igniting Hope podcast. Igniting Hope podcast comes out of our work at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. And if you want more information about the work that we're doing at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, go to buffalohealthequity.org, buffalohealthequity.org. And there you'll find information about uh, the conditions that we in the city of Buffalo of African descent and the health disparities and also how some of the work that we've done in the past, information on our last podcast that we had, and just a way in which we can can connect around the issues of health equity. It's our mission, the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, to eliminate race-based health disparities. We do not believe that your ethnicity, location should be the determining factor or uh, uneven influencer upon the health outcomes that you have. And we're not only talking about physical health, and we know that the high rates of hypertension and diabetes and all the other chronic diseases are are really off the hook in, in our communities. But there's also the issue around mental health, and we've been talking about that on some of our past podcasts. And so we at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, we're investing in, in the solution. And one of the things that we've done is we've created a department within our organization called the Men's Health Initiative. And it's going to focus a lot on, actually a lot on mental health, but physical health as well. And we see that in the African-American community and one of the most stark ways of seeing that people are having challenges with their mental health is in the incidence of suicide, right? And Black peoples uh, have increased the rates of suicide by 30, 30%. And some of the areas that uh, we're seeing an alarming, an alarming increase is in Black men, young Black men. And we've seen uh, the high-profile uh, Regina King, the great actress and producer, her, her son losing his life. We've seen a, a, a other actors and people who have seemingly have it all, but have not seen a pathway to continue on their life. 
And so we have to take some action and we have to do it with, from within. So when you look at nationally, only about two to 3% of all psychiatrists and psychologists are African-Americans. So the solution can't just be a clinical solution, right? Just to say to people, not that a, a white psychiatrist or white psychologist can't relate to the a black man, but there's the issues of cultural competency are, are real. And so, so we have an increase of people in our community who are dealing with mental health issues. And we've done a good job of, of trying to get people to fight against, push back against the stigmas around health, mental health. But then the other piece of that is now that we've done that in some ways, we don't have enough, enough spaces for people to get a, kind of get the help and treatment and support that they need. So Sherman Webb Middlebrooks, and who's someone that many of you know in the community, has become part of our, our team at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. And he's going to be providing a leadership around a men's Black Men's Health Initiative, right? So we're going to dedicate a part of our, our work, our company, around these issues. So I welcome Sherman into the space. Well, I appreciate you, Pastor George, for having me on, and also appreciate you for the opportunity uh, to do this work here at uh, the center. So for those of you who don't know, my name is Sherman Webb Middlebrooks. I'm a lifelong Buffalo resident, full-time Black man. And for me, Bringing in Black men to the space is a critical ingredient for our success because I move about multiple spaces in the community. Um, and unfortunately, I look up a lot of the times, especially as a trained community health worker and program facilitator. And I'm like the only man in the room sometimes or like I'm the only Black man in the room sometimes. And it's interesting that like I don't see a lot of us, but I got a lot of friends. <laughs> I got cousins. I got homies. And so um, I'm asking them, like, when we get off of work and like and we link and we hang out, like, I was doing this for work. Where y'all at? Mm-hmm. They're like, I was at work, too. They, <laughs> and so a lot of them feel like the work that um, that I do or the work that, that you do or, or the work that we're trying to do in terms of improving the health and wellness and not just like the, the physical health, but the mental health and the spiritual health. A lot of brothers feel like that's not work for them because they see a lot of women doing that work. So they don't, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine yourself doing something when you don't see people who look like you in those spaces a lot. And so I feel like a, a lot of us have been pushed out of those spaces or those spaces have been, yeah, they haven't been as welcoming to us, but we're an equal part of the society as well. Mm-hmm. And so I understand the role that I play. Thankfully, I, I had the privilege of being raised around a majority uh, of women cousins and, and um, I had a, a strong, a lot of strong women leadership in my family. So I know how to navigate and, and like being women led spaces and still be a man and show up in those spaces. Mm-hmm. And so I'm recognizing that like there's a void that needs to be filled in our community. And if I can fill that void and, and step up and create a space where men feel welcome to be able to engage with the women in our community that's doing this work. That's the key to success for for us achieving overall health and wellness. Um, Just because I I heard this phrase and it was with regards to teachers. And it was like, if you don't feed the teachers, they start eating the kids. Mm, And so I started seeing that in parents and I'm like, 
I'm working with folks and they're like, what's wrong with these kids? These kids, this. I'm working in the school system. They suspending 5,000 kids in Buffalo Public Schools. And it's like, these parents wow. need to do this. These parents need to do that. And yeah, I'm like, we got like six, seven weeks left of school and we already over 5,000 this year. And so I'm like, we're not supporting the parents. And so like the parents have a hard time supporting the kids. And so we're not feeding the kids. So they eating, eating the babies. Yes. And like, and so we're not feeding the dads and the men. And so they're turning around and like either like eating the family or leaving the family. Mm-hmm. And so me again, just recognizing the void that needs to be filled and using my time, talents and abilities to fill it. So when you think about Black women and black men and people, a lot of times black men thinking that this, the work that you need to do around your mental health is kind of, you know, it's just do. But the reality is a black man is four times more likely to commit suicide than a black woman. Mm. That's interesting. Four times. And so we have a crisis, a mental health crisis that's going on in our community. It's rooted in a lot of historical trauma. It's rooted in, as you mentioned, that a lot of Black folks not feeling welcome in a lot of spaces. It's rooted in the economic struggles of the tremendous economic disparities that we have in our community. It's rooted in the the attack upon the Black family that began in the enslavement and the separation of the of the family and the great kidnapping that happened in this country. I find that a lot of brothers are undervalued Mm -hmm. in our society and and are not seen and heard, you know, for their humanity, but that to a lot of people, we were first a commodity Mm -hmm. during the slave trade. And in a lot of ways, we're still a commodity. And so how do we get our our men, our brothers, to overcome the stigma of asking for help? And then how do we how do we create spaces for black men to get the kind of support? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to therapy or all this other thing. I support all of that, right? But I think in addition to that. There needs to be spaces where black men can begin to heal black men. So can you guys share a little bit about that? Yeah. So I'm a both and kind of guy. So right. I'm a firm believer in taking traditional methods, but also supplementing that with non-traditional methods. And so I think we have to normalize it and make it look cool. And it's started to become a trend um, for men to speak up. And I think what we're doing now with like podcasts and men um, just creating their safe space, getting a microphone, having conversations and then putting it out there. And then other men validating that and saying, oh, I was thinking that. I'm glad you said what I was thinking or what I was feeling, because that's the one thing that I've realized growing up around a lot of women is women talk, Mm -hmm. women communicate, women have conversations. And sometimes folks might look at it as gossip, but I see it sometimes it's like you're thinking through a situation or you're talking through a situation and you're getting advice and you're getting feedback and multiple ways to look at this situation and different solutions and approaches. Some folks might look at it as gossip. Some folks might actually be gossiping. But the point is that like women are more willing to talk with each other that I've seen. And so when men, we can create a space where like, OK, we watching the Bills game. But like when this commercial, come on, how your kids doing? What their grades like? Yeah. Anyway, I can support you with that. 
All right, let me know. Game back on. Mm-hmm. Like, but being super intentional about that. And so I'm a firm believer that like exposure leads to expansion. So if I can expose brothers to different environments, different conversations, get them to think thoughts they never thought before, then I can expand their mind. They can show up differently. I also believe that awareness leads to accountability. So the fact that like I'm the person who happens to be aware of this, that therefore means that I'm accountable for being intentional. And I'm not frustrated or angry or like coming down on brothers when they're not moving and operating with the same level of intentionality that I am, because that makes them not feel safe. That makes them not want to show up. I'm super empathic. And I recognize that this is my calling. This is my challenge. This is my work. And I don't expect me out of everybody else. I don't project that onto others. My role is to create the space where y'all feel safe, where you can talk. So that way, it's not the kick the dog theory or phenomenon because yes. a lot of brothers struggle with the financials or with the sense of agency and having control in their life. And so they sometimes go home and they take it out on, on their wives. Yeah. Displacement is, is very prevalent in, yeah. in, in our community. Go ahead. Right. Right. And so given spaces where they can vent and, and talk these things through and still feel a sense of power and get feedback, get resources, get a different way of looking at the situation to be able to navigate through it instead of feeling like they're going through this alone, alone, and then they get overwhelmed. And then that's how, in my opinion, we have the, the rates of suicide in comparison to like our women counterparts mm-hmm. because we're, we're bottling everything up mm-hmm. and we are sort of people of action. We're going to do something about it eventually instead of talking about it. But I think there's value in us talking. I think we need to have more more balance in how we show up in spaces. Hey, if you're enjoying this episode, check out the Healthy Illness Podcast with me, Kelly Marie, as we build healthy relationships while living with mental health conditions. I'm diagnosed and live with borderline personality disorder, major depression, and generalized anxiety. And despite those diagnoses, I've been able to live a full life. I have healthy relationships, a great career, and my mission is to help you do the same. So join me for Healthy Illness Podcast. New episodes every Monday on the Jazzcast Pros Network, found on the podcast player you're listening to right now. Be the light. Greetings, everyone. My name is Ra. Yes, I am the host of Father Torch. I would like to take this time to invite you in my discussions on very, very important topics of being a black and brown father in today's society. Being a parent, the other parent, we face trials and tribulations too. We have worries, we have feelings. Here at Father Torch, we promote the advocacy of being the dad you wish you had. Join me at fathertorch.com. There's such so many nuances in this, this is issue. This is the historical. And then there's the issue of current policy practices. So, uh, well, let's start in schools. Okay. A young African-American boy will display uh, some what they would call antisocial behavior or disruptive behavior. Mm-hmm. And usually when it's a black boy, the response is usually punitive, yeah. right? But we know those who understand these issues a little bit better understand that disruptive behavior is also or can be and is often 
an indicator of some other deeper issues, right? So it's not like the child is just so fixated with being disruptive in the math class, right? It's all these other social, psychological, sociological, environmental things that are pressing down upon this young man. And the last thing, and you mentioned about the suspension rate, the last thing that child needs to to have is to be separated from an environment that could potentially begin to start helping that individual unpack those problems. And then when that does not happen, Sherman, in a lot of ways, the public school system and the way young Black men are treated, young Black boys, and they are boys, and it is important to think that even yes. though you know we like to the word boy has been seen as a pejorative way when it's you know, spoken by a system upon black people. Mm-hmm. But a boy is someone who is not, doesn't have the mental capacity to be a man. So sometimes we project onto our young boys an expectation of how men should uh, handle certain things, but they're not mentally and emotionally prepared to deal with certain things in life like a man, a mature man would. And so what happens is, and we're getting the question here, is that we're almost training them for the for the criminal justice system. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, and we know that once they are in that system, if you have mental health challenges and then you're incarcerated, that experience of incarceration, and we know the data, will increase it. Absolutely. Right? It'll amplify it. It will expose you to an unhealthy environment that will feed into your, your mental health challenges. And so it's really problematic that we have now an Erie County sheriff, you know, proposing to build a new prison, a new jail, and for $250 million. Now, there, there are some serious issues with the county holding center that are related to the physical plant. But there's also the issues are greater because it's about the culture, exactly. right? And so not to begrudge and say, well, maybe we don't need a new jail. We might, you know, we might. But the dollars that are invested in that have to be matched with dollars invested into addressing mental health issues and other issues to keep people out of these jails. Because a lot of times people who commit crimes may have some other issues that are not just, you know, there are cats that are just maniacal and they need to be locked up. But then, but there's the vast majority of brothers that just kind of make really dumb choices and are struggling with all kinds of stuff. And they really need, they need help. And just like that young boy, but it's a continuation, right? Like, so when I was in fifth grade and I acted out, I didn't get help. When I was in high school, I acted out, I didn't get help. And now I'm out in the world in the street and I acted out and I'm not going to get help. And it kind of perpetuates a cycle. And then that person will eventually get out of prison, right? I think the average stay is three and a half, four or five years. And so now you got this brother who has been disregarded in the school system, abused in the criminal justice system. And now they're back in our community still with with all those other issues and not a, a way to, to process them. How do we understand those things? And how do we begin to respond to them? I think we, this goes back to like that Frederick Douglass quote, um, or I forget whether it was him or Marcus Garvin, forgive me out there, but the, to the sentiment of raising strong 
boys yes. instead of like having to repair men. Of yeah, that was Douglas that talked like, about that. Yes. Okay. And so that's really where like my philosophy is going back mm-hmm. to your point mm-hmm. of like how like the the five year old child that gets in trouble in kindergarten doesn't get support becomes the 15 year old becomes the 25 year old who gets back out at 30, 35 and then is lost. And then we're looking to like, how do we engage? What do they do? And so that's really why, like, I believe um, in investing in young people, but also in investing in the men. And I've had to explain this to young brothers who are becoming young men that like, when you mess up, like the system is designed for you to mess up. And like, when you're in school, you're going to a school system that nationwide is being, you're engaging with 80, 90% white women from the suburbs who don't know a, a little Ray Ray, who don't know a little Ty Ty or, or whatever you, that's, that's not their nephew. That's not their little brother. That's not their cousin. That's not their son. And so when they look at you, they look at you through the eyes of like what they see on the news or what they may have read throughout history or what they might hear in music or on TV or in movies. And because you're you're other to them, you're you're not of their community, you're other to them. And so that is why, like, the threshold is so low or and, and the tolerance is so low and they don't offer the support or engage because they're looking at you like you're almost unfixed, uh, unfixable, or, or that there is something even wrong with you instead of something being actually strong with you. And I only know that because I've had the privilege and I've had like the extreme favor from the Lord to be in an environment where like I was sheltered from that, but I was adjacent to it because I did well on test and I knew how to smile and be charming and engaging with the teachers. So they offered me support. But my friends who didn't do well on tests, who weren't smiling and engaging with the teachers and weren't charming, oh, they hurried up and got them out of there for the same things that I was doing. And so I understood that like, oh, they're scared of you. They feel uncomfortable by you. They don't like you. They're not going to give you a chance. And so understanding that, making it like in the work that I do now, making the comparison to like, when you navigate through these systems, like understand that there's always going to be people that's there to help you. But like the majority of times you got to look out for the folks that's not there to help you. And understanding that going back to what you were saying in terms of slavery, when you get sent out to these prisons or to these, when I worked in juvenile facility to even go back there, I worked in juvenile detention and foster care for like five years. Mm-hmm. And I worked in the facilities and I worked in that. Um, in the community with young people when they were transitioning out. And we had like a 91% recidivism rate at this one facility. Jesus. And like people kept asking why. And I was like, y'all don't get it. Y'all don't get it. If you don't come back, we don't have jobs. <laughs> if you don't come back, they don't have a reason to ask for more funding. Please let me go do something else with my life. Yeah. Please let me not have a job to come back to. I actually... Don't want it. I don't want this job no more. I hate the fact that this job even exists, mm-hmm. that there's a system that's damaging y'all enough that like we got a bunch of these facilities and a bunch of us on payroll. This is terrible. We're benefiting off of your trauma. I paying my bills because there's traumatized little black boys. This sucks. This is like blood money. I kind of don't want to yeah, work here. Right. But if I leave here, they're going to probably put somebody from outside of my community in here who's not going to be empathic and engage with you in the way that I am. So now I kind of feel stuck. And like, it's a lot of folks in our community who experience that same 
that same feeling because those are like the easiest entry level positions to get fresh out of college. Right. And so it's a lot of folks who engage in that system, but understanding that, like they're training you for that. I remember when I was in school, certain schools that had a high suspension rates, low academic performance became the uniform schools and those uniform. And I didn't have to wear a uniform at Emerson. We were a high performance school. Those uniform schools was the tan khakis, the blue (laughs) or green polos. Right. I get a picture from one of my boys that's locked up, one of the one of the older heads. I'm looking at one of the OGs in the picture when I'm in the projects. I'm like, he look like he got a school uniform on. So it's like we're conditioning them for jail, for prison. So then, like you, I would always say in school when my my principal and the security were like, "Why are you always playing so much in school?" I would tell them, "I can get away with it now because you're only going to suspend me." When I turn 18, I'm going to jail. So I'm going to have my fun now because I understood the game because I had, you know, people around me to break it down. But also thinking about the plantation system, even in New York State and throughout the country where these jails are, are where the old farming communities, where the old plantation communities, old rural communities who have little to no industry and ways for these people to make money. Again, unless... They can benefit off of folks' struggle, off folks' trauma, off the prison industrial complex. And so folks have no incentive to reduce the the recidivism rate. It's not a good business practice for them to invest in our mental health and wellness. It don't make make good business sense. And so that's what I realized like we're up against. Follow the money. People benefit off our trauma, off of our struggle. And and off of us being in these desperate situations sometimes and making these choices that we wouldn't have made otherwise. And so that's why I'm trying. We're trying to create these spaces to be able to give folks an opportunity to vent, pop the lid off the volcano before we erupt and make a poor choice based off of temporary emotions that might have permanent consequences. Again, this is Igniting Hope podcast. And uh, please go on to our website and we're going to begin to start populating on our website, buffalohealthequity.org, ways you can connect with us. And uh, Sherman will have a section on there. We'll figure this out. So when we begin to start um, having our activities, our events, uh, the things that, that, you know, again, we have it's a mental health, uh, excuse me, Black Men's Health Initiative. An initiative means there's something happening. That's right. Can you share just a little bit about some of the ideas, some of the things that, uh, you're gonna. You want those who are, are listening with us today to begin to start looking for when they log on, and we're gonna be reaching out to to folks. We have our our community engagement team, and we're gonna have groups. We're gonna have all kinds of good things that we want to help folks with. So, can you just share a little bit about yeah. how well, the things, some of the work you're gonna be doing? Absolutely. We're, we're going to be breaking bread. Um. So that's the idea behind it. We're going to have folks pull up and break bread. It's going to kind of be all day events is all day conference focusing on like black men, our health, our wellness. We're going to start off um, with some mindfulness, with some movement classes for the brothers who need to get their good stretching, get their yoga, get their mindfulness meditation on. We're going to start the day off of that. Then we're going to feed the brothers a nice brunch. 
then we're going to end up having like a, a community led panel discussion where we're going to bring in folks who are moving and shaking and doing things in our community to be able to talk about the experiences, talk about opportunities to engage, talk about resources. Then we're going to move into more solution oriented circles where like the folks, um, the brothers who show up are going to be able to talk amongst themselves in smaller groups about solutions and again about resources to solve potential issues that we're facing in our community. Everything's going to be documented. So we want to make sure that folks uh, feel comfortable enough to, to give us some content, to pull up on us and, and give us some recap interviews. And then we're going to allow for some networking. So at the end of it, I want folks to pass out business cards, take the selfies, chop it up, go live, engage with each other, um, because your network is going to determine your net worth. And if you want to see your future tomorrow, look at your friends today. I can go on with these quotes and, <laughs> and, and these cliches, but, but in reality is like, you got to have the right people around you and you got to build your network. Um, and so that's what we're about. We're about creating a culture and a community of support um, because we literally all we got and nobody is coming to save us but us. And we literally have everything that we need. We just got to learn how to have these conversations and begin to communicate with each other as men. And so that's what we're doing. We're going to create the opportunity for us to communicate, engage and break some bread. So go to buffalohealthequity.org. We'll have stuff up there to so how you can connect with Sherman in this Black Men's Health Initiative. It's, it's going to be safe space. It's going to be space that uh, we're going to be really transparent with one another. And it's going to be rooted in love. I mean, one of the things that I get so frustrated with, and one of the greatest gifts that God has given to me is to, to be the gift of being a father of five beautiful uh, adults, five beautiful humans at this point. Um. And four of those of, of, of my children were young men, ranging from the ages of 25 to 17 at this point. And our young men need nurturing. Mm-hmm. And while I'm sure that, you know, there were times where I had to be disciplinarian and holding them accountable for some things, but but that wasn't the central approach of being a father. And brothers, if you don't take anything from this conversation today, please connect in an emotional way with your son. And I'm not talking about buying him some Jordans. <laughs> I'm not talking about going to his football games in Holland. I'm talking about emotionally connecting with your son. I'm not talking about giving your son advice. I'm talking about listening to your son's heart because that's what they need more than anything. It's not only your physical presence, but you have to be emotionally present with your son as well. It's not being soft. It's not being any of that stuff because we're all as human beings, very emotional beings. And if we don't know how to deal with our emotions or if we suppress our emotions or if we allow our emotions to control us, nothing but bad outcomes will happen. And so we have the ability, the capacity to be more connected with each other. And if you need help, if you need tools, and and maybe your father wasn't emotionally present for you, or maybe wasn't present at all, 
But you have the ability to break that cycle. And don't just say, well, my daddy didn't do this, and, 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 and so I don't know how to. And that's true. And that may you may not, but there are brothers in the community that will help you and will come alongside of you and bring out in you that goodness that 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 God has given you when you when you were birthed on this earth. So this is a, a, a challenge for us, but it's also a great opportunity for us black men to step up, to show up, to be our, our authentically good selves, because we are. We're wonderful. And your son is wonderful. And so we want to make sure that we create spaces to nurture, support, love, hold accountable, pull out people's dreams and help them to reach their highest potentials. And if they are struggling with their what's going on with their mental health, there's, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just means that there's something there that we need to help you with. It's been my position, and it is my position, that every black, being a black man in America mm-hmm. is a pre-existing condition for having challenges with your mental health. And so we want to create an environment, create community to lift each other up. And so go on to our website, buffalohealthequity.org, and we'll have a place where you can click and get information about our, our men's mental health initiative. When we have events, and they'll be coming up soon to come. Yeah, pull up. Pull up. Be present. You don't need a special invitation. This is the invitation, right? And we will work. And this is for all men, okay? All men. Father, whether you're father or not a father, whether you're young or you're old, whether you're straight or gay, this is... This is a space for space a space for all men, and we're gonna we're gonna honor each other's humanity. We're gonna love one another, and we're gonna try to build each other up the best we possibly can. So this is Pastor George Nicholas from the Igniting Hope podcast. Today our guest is Sherman Webb Middlebrooks, and he's the project manager, a men's health initiative from the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, and. Um, I'm excited. Thank you, Sherman, for being present with us. And he'll also be hosting some of our podcasts. Uh, we're going to use this podcast not only for my voice, but for the voices of others. And so thank you for tuning in with us today. And God bless you. We love you. And we're looking forward to when we can connect again.